If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn together with me to Luke chapter 17 as we continue our study through Luke's gospel together. We're in the 17th chapter where we left off. And if you do need a Bible while we're turning there, we can deliver one to you. If you just keep your hand up in the air, the guys are coming up the aisle and they'll be happy to give a Bible to you to follow along God's Word with us. You may have noticed over to my left here the communion elements. We're going to actually look into the Word this morning and then at the end of our study we'll stop a little bit short and just enter back into a time of uh, worship and expressing our hearts to the Lord in song and we'll share the elements of communion together. So Luke 17 this morning we're going to pick back up right where we left off there in verse 11 and we're going to go from 11 down to verse 19 and if you're turned there together with me shall we stand out of respect for the word of God as I read our text for Bible study. Luke 17, beginning in verse 11, it says, Now it happened, as Jesus went into Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourself to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And Father, we lift up the word of God in your presence this morning before you reverently and and recognizing that that is exactly what it is. That it is your very word inspired and breathed out by your spirit letting us know your heart and your will for us as your creation here on this planet. And and we pray, God, that as your presence is with us in this room this morning by your Spirit, that your same Spirit that inspired your Word would now be our instructor, that you would do what it takes in my life and each and every one of our lives this morning to be able to receive what it is you would say personally and directly to us. Lord, would you inscribe your will on the fleshly tablet of our hearts? Speak to us. Prepare us, Lord. Make us anticipate that you have something to say to us and give us responsive hearts, we pray, to what you'd speak to us this morning. Bless your word, Lord, and we thank you in advance for doing such in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, every person has the equal capacity to receive from Jesus. And in the same way, every person, I believe, has the equal responsibility to respond to Jesus. Let me say that again. Every person has equal capacity to receive from Jesus. And in the same way, every person has equal responsibility to respond to Jesus. And I think the text in front of us very clearly portrays that. Notice there are ten men in this passage who all receive powerfully from the Lord. 
a miraculous transformation, a life change. Yet among these ten who all received powerfully from the Lord in their own lives, we take note that only one expresses proper gratitude and sincere appreciation back to Jesus by their actions. The remaining 90% of the group demonstrate tremendous ingratitude. They demonstrate very clear lack of appreciation. And interestingly enough, here the Bible sets before us in this passage a very clear occasion where not only we can learn something about ourselves, but we definitely learn something about the heart of the Lord as well. It becomes very obvious as you see this event unfold and Jesus' response to it, you see that the response of these people back towards Jesus clearly demonstrates that it actually breaks Jesus' heart. I think there's a tone of sadness there in the Lord's voice, not just astonishment, where he says in verse 17 and 18, we're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? I don't know if he said that out loud in front of those who were there, or if it was something that just maybe potentially kind of under his breath or in his heart with a saddened sigh of astonishment that Jesus found him saying, were there not any found who would return to give glory to God in light of what had just happened in their lives? Amazing to see. It shows us that we as human beings, consider this, actually have the capacity to break Jesus's heart. And we also have the capacity to bless Jesus' heart. And it seems to me from what the Word of God shows us that much of that is determined by how we respond to the Lord. Many of us are very good at receiving from the Lord. Many of us are very good at asking from the Lord. But I can't help but to wonder when the Word of God sets this before us, inspired to speak into our lives today in 2012, if God's not saying, but yet a real deficiency among humanity is their responsiveness to the Lord, back to the Lord, in proper appreciation and gratitude. So may the Spirit of God search our hearts and may we hear what the Lord would say to us as we look into this passage and let it be written upon our hearts this morning. Notice verse 11, the story unfolds by telling us now it happened as Jesus, it says, went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's now on his way to Jerusalem uh, really for his final time prior to the crucifixion. And as he's on his way down to Jerusalem, it's on this occasion it will be his final trip there. The events that will happen will ultimately culminate in Jesus' suffering and death at this point where he will ultimately become the Passover lamb, the ultimate Passover lamb, fulfilling the Passover, where he would be the Passover lamb who would take away the sins of the world altogether once completely. And apparently Jesus is now coming from the north and he's making his way south and as he's journeying down through the country, if you've ever looked at a map of Israel before, you'll take notice that Israel is kind of really broken into three major sections. You have the northern part of Israel, which is often referred to as Galilee. You have the central part of Israel referred to as Samaria. And then the southern part of Israel is often referred to as Judea. So Jesus is now skirting the border, coming down through northern and central Israel 
Israel, making his way into the southern area of Judea where Jerusalem is now located. And as he's on his way, verse 12 tells us that he entered a certain village. We're not told which one. And there met him ten men, it says, who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices. The idea is loudly they shouted from a distance to Jesus. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So as Jesus is en route, traveling south towards Jerusalem, on his way at a certain village, notice he is met by a group of ten men who are really in a desperate condition. They find themselves in a miserable condition and it tells us in verse 12 that their condition was is that these 10 men were lepers. They had leprosy. Now leprosy, remember, is basically a loathsome and dreaded disease. It's a disease that ultimately causes a person to suffer in a very slow, progressive way. It's medically incurable we, to this day, we can arrest some of the symptoms and slow it down, but it is still, to this day, medically incurable. It's ultimately a terminal disease. It's caused by a microbacteria, which slowly and progressively causes the body, in sense, to die from the inside out. Uh, it gradually begins to cause horrid deterioration and deformity of the skin and the body appendages because it's attracted to the cooler spots on the body. So it goes to the extremities many times in its initial uh, efforts to deteriorate. It attacks and destroys the nervous system slowly from the inside out. And many have called leprosy before death by inches because of its real slow and progressive destruction of the human body. It usually begins with the outward evidence of spots of discoloration on the skin and a spot will begin to show up, a red spot or a swelling and an ulcerated sore. And, and what you basically have, to just be very frank, is the skin rotting away very slowly, much like just an aged piece of fruit. And it just begins to deteriorate and to rot and it certainly creates a repulsive stench from the rotting flesh on the individual. Now inwardly at the same time, it destroys the nervous system because it causes the victim to basically lose the pain sensation. As the nervous system is attacked and destroyed, the victim of leprosy basically becomes desensitized to feeling and to pain sensation. So because of that, many a times a person infected with leprosy is not able to feel, even if they sustain an injury, if they would be walking along in Israel and in their sandal potentially hit a, a stump or a stone and, and break open their foot and damage it or to uh, you know, maybe drastically sprain or twist their ankle, they can't even feel the pain sensation. They don't even realize initially that they're afflicted and they're wounded. And because of that, with a lack of pain sensation to an injured area, you can understand how further infection could develop very quickly and how further problems they could continue to walk with a broken ankle or a sprained ankle and they don't even realize it and they're creating further damage because they don't have the natural pain sensation in their body so they could break a hand or burn their skin and not even realize if you've seen footage of of leper camps before you might see where they'll even maybe reach directly into a fire if they drop something when they're cooking and they don't even wince they just put their hand right in because the nervous system is being destroyed and it causes further deterioration so the body appendages then obviously become destroyed fingers and toes and the nose and the ears these kind of things begin to rot away the cartilage of the nose and the ears even begins to 
sort of flatten where the, the nose kind of just sinks in or the, the ears are even known to ultimately begin to, to literally rot and fall off. So you can picture the tremendous deformity that a person who's suffering under this, how it would just ravage a person's life and deteriorate them slowly as their body basically rots away and falls apart progressively over time. Now, on top of those physical and medical conditions, to make it worse, the disease also made a person in that day in Israel ceremonially unclean, which meant that they couldn't intermingle like everyone else in society out of safety for infection, spreading and contaminating other people in the Jewish society. They would be quarantined to camps by themselves. In fact, you might want to write in your notes or in your Bible here, Leviticus chapter 13, as it describes there how lepers had to be isolated or removed from the remainder of society. Leviticus 13 is a chapter and it says how the priests themselves, the priests would be the ones to diagnose and to indicate that indeed this person is leprous. They do have that condition and it gave instructions not only how to diagnose leprosy but then how to deal with the infected person. It was the job of the priest to do that and once a determination was made, it was his job to then, in a sense, let them know that they must now live quarantined and isolated from the rest of society and the condition caused people to be separated. To have to, as I said there, stand afar off from other individuals. So individuals suffering with leprosy could not go to the market like everyone else. They couldn't go to temple and worship and assemble for public meetings. They could not be with their families. They had to leave their families. They had no more experience of a, a physical embrace of a loved one. They had to leave their, their wives, their children, their husbands, and they had to be separated from their parents and, and, and live a life of isolation and a life of separation. Leviticus 13 tells us, he is unclean, he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. He had to leave society, family, friends, and it says if anyone was within a hundred paces, he had to identify himself by covering and saying, unclean, unclean. That's why you take note, you read there in verse 12 that it says these 10 lepers, it says they stood afar off at a distance from Jesus. Now, if you haven't taken notice yet, it becomes pretty evident when you look at the condition of leprosy, how leprosy in the Bible is a very symbolic type of sin. Because just like leprosy, sin is a spiritual disease. Everybody has it. And it's a spiritual disease that is humanly incurable. It's a spiritual disease that's terminal. It causes death in every one of our lives. We all die physically and it causes death spiritually in our lives as well. And sin affects and deteriorates every part of our being. Our sinfulness defiles and damages our mind and makes us think wrongly about things. Sin defiles our mouths and that's why we speak corruptly and say the things that we do. Sin defiles our heart and our emotions and, and everything about our being and it slowly and progressively just damages and destroys a life. And the longer we live in sin until we come to the Lord Jesus Christ who can cleanse us from our spiritual leprosy, we slowly and progressively basically just self-destruct our lives. And we've all seen the effects and the symptoms of sin when we allow it to remain and rule our lives. It just defiles everything about us. Sin, just like leprosy, causes a person to lose sensitivity to what is right. 
you know, before I met Jesus Christ, for I spent almost 18 years uh, spiritually leprous in a sense until the Lord forgave me and I was a born-again believer. And, and you know what sin was doing? It dulled my senses. I didn't have the ability to determine what was right and wrong morally. And I just lived responsively to what my sin nature was. And, and sin was gradually, symptomatically, it was just dulling my senses to where I could do ungodly and inappropriate things. And I didn't even realize the damage I was causing to myself. I didn't realize the damage it was causing to other people around me because I was desensitized. You know, remember that when you get really frustrated with unsaved and pagan people around you. Well, they're just, they drive me crazy. They're so sick and filthy and disgusting. Well, guess what? They don't know any better. They're desensitized. They're numb to how damaging and defiling and destructive they're behaving because sin is destroying their moral fiber work. And they don't even recognize it. You know, we look at them, how could that person destroy their life like that? How could they continue to live like that? Well, until they're born again and set free and Jesus changes them, that's all they know. But tragically, it just destroys lives. We see the effects of sin in people all around our culture. It deteriorates and defiles every part of us. And sin causes separation and isolation just like leprosy. The Bible says God's arm is not short, but our sins are what separate us from God. And sin causes separation from God in our lives because God's a holy God. And our sin is what separates us from a holy God. Sin causes separation among human relationships too. Because when we're living in sin or we begin to enter back into sin, it always causes separation. It'll begin to cause separation in marriages. It causes separation in relationships among other people around us who we should be close to. And sin always drives a person towards isolation. When a person begins to enter into sin or when a person begins to backslide away from Jesus or they're just living in sin and they never come to Jesus, it is very common for them to begin to isolate themselves because they sense their leprosy. They, they sense and, and, and something within them causes them to, to always hold back and to isolate themselves. Because they, they recognize something's not right with me. And it drives people into separation, into isolation from others, not just the fact that it separates them from God. And sin, as I said, is humanly incurable. It's humanly incurable. You need a miracle from God to get rid of sin. So we see how leprosy in the Bible is a very symbolic type of sin even in a human being. And notice that these lepers, they could not help themselves. There was nothing they could do to change their condition. They were completely helpless on their own ability to change anything. Their only hope was coming to Jesus, crying out and seeking him for intervention in their life. That was all they could do. They couldn't change their condition. They needed Jesus to miraculously change them, to heal them, to deliver them, to transform them. Only he had the power to do that. And it seems that they at some point came to a place of confidence where they recognized that in their own lives because it says they come to Jesus asking, standing afar off, lifting their voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, I don't know... But back in Luke chapter 5, also Mark chapter 1 records, remember there was an individual man who it says, Luke tells us, was full of leprosy at the latter stages of leprosy, consumed his whole life at that point. And it says this man, this one leprous man, came to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he was taking one last ditch effort 
sensing, look, my life is going down the tubes and I have and he, and he runs to Jesus and, and says, Lord, I know you can make me clean, but I don't know if you're willing because I am so disgusting. I loathe myself now, Lord. And Jesus says to him, I am willing. And he puts his hand out and he touches him. Something that nobody else would ever do. And he touches him and says, I'm willing. Be cleansed. And he miraculously cures this leper. And he says, now don't go tell anybody. Go show the priest, but don't tell anybody. And he does the exact opposite. He goes around and he tells everybody. He can't hold it back. And he publishes the word abroad throughout the society. I wonder maybe was it that one man's transformed life that news and testimony traveled that these 10 lepers, you know, word gets around when stuff like that happens. Hey, do you remember what, what Jesus did for, for Bob? That guy's got ears now. He's got a nose again. Look at him. Maybe Jesus could do the same thing for us. Look how he changed his life. Look, and, and probably he was there from it. Listen, I'm telling you. I just went to him and I pleaded with him. And miraculously, I didn't have to go to therapy. He just changed me. One touch, one word, I believed it and it happened and he transformed my life. Because now here's these 10 men in the same condition as a group and they now, it seems, believe, maybe from what they've heard, that Jesus could do the same for them. So we find they now come to Jesus pleading and asking, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Interesting, that term Master there, when you look at it in the Greek, indicates a high rank or a supreme ruler, the idea could be translated. It's showing us that these men recognize that Jesus was the supreme ruler over everything. That he was in charge of everything. The highest ranking man on the planet, he was Jesus, the master, the supreme ruler over disease and dreaded conditions and whatever it was. And they recognized who he was and the power and authority that he had. And it's with that faith in who they believe Jesus was, the master of everything, it's with that faith, they muster up the courage to say, you know what, let's take a chance. What do we got to lose? Let's take a chance and run to Jesus and say, have mercy on us. And they come to Jesus saying, Lord, take pity on us. Have mercy on us. Help us. If there's anything that you can do, please, by your power, change our condition deliver us from this and I'll tell you something I believe myself that that is still the Lord's intention today I believe that Jesus wants to do the same where he brings every person to a similar place where they come to that place of personal humility and personal brokenness and whatever it is in their life where they recognize very clearly that they can't do anything to change themselves and they come to that place where not only does everyone else maybe loathe them, but they start to loathe themselves. And they're disgusted with their own condition and they realize, I can't change this. I can't change myself. But they also have hope and confidence believing, but you know what? I think Jesus can change me because I've seen other people that he's changed and I've heard testimonies of other lives that he's transformed and therefore they muster up the faith to come sincerely at some point in their life when they come to that crisis moment and they like these men come running to Jesus asking for his intervention and assistance I think the Lord wants to do that in everyone's life to bring, bring them to the exact same place well, look at verse 14 how Jesus responds it says so when he saw them he said to them go show yourself to the priests and so it was that as they went, as they're traveling, they were cleansed. 
So as they come, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wouldn't do something different for them than he did for this other leprous man. He's not a God of partiality. He doesn't give special preferred treatment. It doesn't matter how leprous or how, at what stage you're at. The one man was full of leprosy. and the, It doesn't matter. The same way Jesus would go, well, I mean, I, I do that for that person because, I mean, they're the, but you, look at you. I mean, just, you're a special case. Or, I never thought about your situation. It'd be a little complicated to transform you. Come on. Jesus doesn't show partiality. He's the same with everybody. And as they come to Jesus that day, it says that he saw them and he was compassionate and he honors their request for help. I like it. It says he saw them. He was aware of their desperate condition, not only just the 10 of them, but individually exactly what they were thinking and feeling. And he was aware of their longing for change. As a person can have inside, so they long to change so bad. And I'll tell you something. This morning, Jesus sees and Jesus is aware of exactly where you're at. Exactly where you're at. And he knows exactly what you're longing for him to do in your life. And Jesus gives them a command. He says, go show yourself to the priests. Well, the purpose of that was twofold. One, it was to be compliant with scripture. And two, it was so that they could be a testimony to others around them of what Jesus had done in their lives. Again, you might want to jot in your Bible or in your margin here, Leviticus 14, the next chapter. Because in Leviticus 14 there, there's the prescribed ceremony where the same priest who would diagnose, yep, you're a leper, the same priests were the only ones who could also confirm, you know what, you're cleansed now. You're not a leper anymore. I clarify you as clean and set free. If God had done a miracle and intervened, as we see in this account here, of miraculously cleansing and healing them. And there was a ceremony then to reinstate the leper as clean so he could merge back into temple worship. He was now acceptable to God and acceptable to man in a sense and he could enter into public worship like everyone else because he had been cleansed and his life had been changed. And when you look at that ceremony and the instructions of what they did, you see in Leviticus 14, it had tremendous foreshadowing of Jesus because they were to take two birds and they were to have some water and they were to kill one bird and drain the blood of the one bird into the water and to mix it together to make a scarlet red amount of water. And then they were to use that bloody water and they were to sprinkle it on the clean bird. Again, blood and water came from the side of Jesus when he died on the cross. And then once they sprinkled that blood and water onto the clean bird, the other bird, they would then set that bird free and they would let it fly away. What a beautiful picture of how the Lord not just forgives, but removes our sins and they're taken away completely. And this all foreshadowed what Jesus does. And the command, imagine it for these men though, go show yourselves to the priest. That kind of required faith because he doesn't give much explanation. He just gives a simple command and sees how they're going to respond to it. No great explanation, but what did they have? They had the word of Jesus and they had the equal capacity to make a choice now. They had the word of Jesus and they had to choose what they were going to do with it. How were they going to respond to it? Well, they needed to respond. It says that as they went, so obviously they all took belief in what he said that day. And it says, so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Notice, what does Jesus do? Jesus honors their faith. Jesus honors their obedience and Jesus will always honor faith and he will always honor obedience. So they obediently respond to the word of the Lord. Jesus honors that. It says when they personally believe and acted upon it, notice it was in the midst of the process of going that the miracle happened. It says that as they went, 
they were cleansed. Take note of that. Once they responded to Jesus, then they received from Jesus. Let me say that again. Once they responded to Jesus, it was at that moment that they then received from Jesus. There's a responsiveness in our lives that's an important component in receiving from the Lord through a catalyst of faith and through the yielding of our will. Jesus' transforming power changed their lives miraculously in an instant once they responded to the Lord. They then received this miracle as they went. It just says they were cleansed as they were traveling on the way to the priest. Now, can you imagine the miraculous experience that happened here? These 10 lepers deformed and been living together, maybe in a camp or colony. And all of a sudden, as they're traveling, a miracle just begins to happen. Did it happen instantaneously, progressively? Again, picture the deformity. All of a sudden, they're running. You got a nose, man. You have an ear. And just imagine that we just read that and gloss over it. No, consider what these people were living in. This would have been astonishing. This would have shocked them to no end. It would have shook them to the core because not only did the symptomatic effects take place, but there was an inner sense in every one of them. They knew inside something happened. There was an inner sense because it says here that they were cleansed. In other words, they weren't just healed physically in a sense of the symptoms, but Jesus cleansed the internal disease out of their system altogether. He took away the problem at the root. He didn't just fix the outward symptoms. He literally delivered them and removed the disease from them. He went right to the root of the problem and he cast it out of their system. He cleansed it from their system. It was a complete transformation and a complete deliverance as Jesus took away the root and the source of the problem in such a way that it never returned. That's a cleansing. That's complete deliverance when the Lord takes away something in such a way that it never, ever returns. And I'll tell you, the Lord Jesus, who's master over all, he accomplishes these kind of things in people's lives. Jesus is fully able to change and to transform anyone's life. Jesus Christ can miraculously cure, hear me, any struggle and condition. He has the power and the authority to cure any condition, any struggle, any you know, you know, addiction with sin or substance abuse or life-dominating habit. Listen, Jesus can cure any condition. He can transform any life. And Jesus can cleanse us from any and all sin. It does not matter what you've done. Oh, if you knew how leprous and filthy and disgusting what I did in my past or, or the... Th Listen, they were cleansed cleansed the blood of jesus christ cleanses us from all sin there is nothing you have done that jesus cannot forgive you for there is nothing the power of his blood can cleanse from any sin and take away the guilt of that and the power of jesus can give people like these 10 men a brand new start on life if anyone's in christ the bible says he's a new creation the old things pass away and things become new brand new jesus can give anyone a brand new start on life and romans 10 13 says and i love it whoever calls on the name of the lord shall be saved whoever he just waits for us to call upon his name well as they're going and cleanse verse 15 says and one of them when he saw that he was healed he returned and with a loud voice he glorified god and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And then Luke adds, and he was a Samaritan. 
So now we see a proper response of a life transformed by the Lord. As the group is traveling to the priest, this incredible miracle happens. Their lives are transformed and they're all celebrating, you know, no doubt, they're all celebrating. And then it seems one man stops and he, and he either says out loud or he at least thinks to himself, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. And he starts to replay and think through what just happened there. The many years he'd been in that condition, hopeless and helpless and struggling. And the fact that they had come to this decision as a group, hey, what do we have to lose? Let's go take a chance and beg the mercy of Jesus and see if he would change and transform us too. And they come with faith, believing he will, begging and asking him to do it. And Jesus miraculously changes them. And it seems all of a sudden, as he's replaying it, it registers, whoa, look what the Lord just did in my life. And because it registers what the Lord had done for him personally, he responds appropriately. Would you agree? He turns right around. I don't care if the rest of you are coming or not. He turns right around and he makes a beeline back for Jesus heading to him. And it says when he saw that he was healed, he returned and began to worship the Lord. Now, I have that word circled because to me, I think that's a pivotal word, that word return, because that word return conveys the idea, listen, of a response to the Lord, a response to the Lord. This man was motivated within because of what happened in his life to want to return something back to Jesus out of gratitude and appreciation. He wanted to personally express his appreciation for what the Lord had done in his personal life. And he was deeply motivated to do that. And the searching question I ask you, as I asked myself this week, is this. Is have you taken the time and do you take the effort to perhaps on occasion turn from your own pursuits and seek to find a way to return something back to Jesus for what he's done in your life many times over? And all this man comes back and does is worship, but he was returning something and it really mattered to the Lord. And this man is a beautiful illustration of what a proper worshipful response should be from a person who's been touched and helped and healed by the Lord. Notice what he does. You see an unashamed and enthusiastic effort to glorify God. It says that he came with a loud voice glorifying God, telling other people, shouting maybe, I don't know, but, but he's glorifying God on the way. He can't not tell people how good and wonderful and, and awesome God is for what he had done in his life. You also see a humble submission to the lordship of Jesus because notice when he comes back, what does he do? It says he fell down on his face right at Jesus' feet. So there's a humble submission to the lordship of Jesus over his life. I bow down. I give up my... You are my master. Rule over me in every way. And thirdly, take notice as well, you see a personal expression of gratitude and appreciation because it says that he fell at Jesus' feet. Verse 16 says, giving him thanks. That is directly expressing thanks and praise to Jesus for what Jesus had done for him, using his voice to give thanks directly to Jesus. And Luke adds in here this little insertion, and this man was a Samaritan. Why does he put that in there? Because Samaritans were despised by Jews. Jews looked at Samaritans as unholy and ungodly. So it's indicating here the fact that this guy was the least likely guy that should have come back out of the group to done this. 
The others, who apparently were Jews, who knew much more spiritually. They had a greater intellectual understanding of scriptures and the things of God. They had a greater exposure to the things of God. And this man, who had the least understanding of spiritual matters and less exposure to the things of God in his life, shows, however, that he has the most spiritually sensitive heart because he responded to Jesus, whereby it reveals the spiritual dullness of all the others who may have had a lot of spiritual intellect, but their hearts had become spiritually dull, whereby they portray themselves as nothing more than spiritual takers. They're spiritual consumers. Oh, we'll take something from you, Lord, thanks. But don't ask us to give something. Don't ask us to come and give you worship. Don't ask us to surrender our lives. Fire insurance, right on. We'll take that. Lordship, whoa, that's, that's invading my uh, personal privacy there, little Lord. Fire insurance, absolutely. I'm, I'm on with you. I want to go to heaven, Jesus. But Lordship, rule my life, bow down, give up my rights, forsake myself, follow you. Whoa, that's getting a little personal there. And these men demonstrate their dullness. Now, it shows us this, that when the Lord powerfully works in our life, listen, there should be a response. It's appropriate. There should be gratitude and appreciation whereby we want to return to Jesus and give something back to him. And just like this man's motto, we should want to unashamedly glorify God with our voices, talking to people about God. Telling people God's goodness and what he's done for us. Sharing our testimony of salvation. Sharing testimony of the good things God does in our life individually throughout our days. It should cause in us a response where we, like this man, humbly live submitted to Jesus. And as an act of gratitude, we bow down and embrace Jesus' lordship over us. And say, Lord, reign over me. Rule over me. I, I bow down to you now. You're my master now. I want to be your servant. And it should prompt in us an expressing of thanks directly to Jesus, that is via prayer, that we would use our mouths and our voices to express thanks to Jesus in personal prayer, in corporate prayer, that we would use our voices to express thanks to Jesus in worship and singing, expressing adoration and glory to him for what he's done for us. Psalm 107, there's a repeated phrase, shows up four times in the psalm. Let me read it to you. Four times this same psalm says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. When the Lord works powerfully in our lives, the appropriate thing is that there should be a response. And here's the primary response, a response of worship. Worship, a response of worship and gratitude and appreciation. I'm a firm believer, I have a deep conviction in my heart that when a person has a proper understanding of the cleansing of their sins, they will be driven to worship God. Listen, when I got saved and born again, nobody told me, you need to go to church, you need to worship the Lord, you need to pray every day. When I realized what I was cleansed from, I thought, what else would I want to do? Any opportunity I have to bow down, to worship, to tell him, to, to express my praise to him, I was, it was just a natural motivation. And I believe when a person truly comes into a, a, a genuine understanding of the cleansing of their sin, like this one man, this is what they do. 
they come and just respond. Hebrews 13:15 says of our response to Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Let us continually do that. Continually offer that sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Well, verse 17, as this man comes back and does this, Jesus answers and says, we're not 10 cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? So Jesus' response, and please, please take note of this, it reveals to us how he sincerely felt about this whole occasion and their response to him once they received from him. This indicates very clearly that our human response and gratitude towards Jesus does matter to him very much. Because as this man comes, it shows that Jesus was astonished that the other nine didn't come and return and thank him as well. Clearly, Jesus deeply appreciated the one man coming back to him, and that was right. I'm not saying he didn't appreciate it. That was a right response. He appreciated it. But that man's right response, just if I could say, it, it, it sort of magnified Jesus' awareness of the utter ungratitude and the tremendous disappreciation of all the others who experienced the exact same thing, and the other 90% did nothing. They didn't even return. They didn't even come back and say a small thank you, let alone to do anything like what this man was doing. And that's why you see Jesus saying, wait a minute, didn't I cleanse a whole lot more people than this? Didn't I do a work and a lot more? And, but where's, where's everybody else? Where's the other 90% of them? And Jesus says here, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God? Shows me that their human ingratitude, it puzzled Jesus. Their ungratefulness actually saddened the heart of Jesus. And I think we have to take note of that because it shows us these things matter to Jesus. I want to know what matters to Jesus. This mattered to Jesus. It mattered very much. Oh, what's the big deal? It is a big deal. It matters to Jesus. Our gratitude for our salvation, our appreciation of who he is in our lives... And Jesus seems to show us, from what we see here in this account, it's not here for just no reason, he seems to show us that the greater percentage of people who receive from the Lord and he works in their life never really return and give glory to God the way that they're supposed to. I read this this week and I found myself in repentance saying, Lord, I wonder if 90% of the time I fail to give you the proper appreciation and gratitude and worship that I should in my life. It's kind of a searching thing, but to realize it matters to the Lord. Well, verse 19 says that Jesus turns to the man and says, Arise, go your way, your faith. It's made you well. So Jesus, as he dismisses this man, who was very grateful, assured him the catalyst to his healing and restoration was his faith. Now, some believe that Jesus was saying something deeper here, that he was saying that this man's sincere faith demonstrated by his worship and his works was actually something that saved him spiritually as well. Interesting, that phrase, your faith has made you well. In Luke 7, when Jesus talks to the repentant woman at his feet there, he uses the same phrase in the Greek, and he says there, your faith has saved you. And some believe that Jesus saw in this man's returning a sincere faith in who he was and a submitted heart, and therefore Jesus was saying to him, in essence, look, I see what's happening in your heart. I see you sincerely have a, a, an appreciation and a recognition of who I am and that Jesus was assuring him you can now depart in peace because you're just not physically cleansed. You're whole now. 
body, soul, and spirit. And not only are you physically healed, but Jesus had seen his faith and says to him, listen, you've received a, a double miracle in a sense because you recognize and responded to me in faith for who I really am. And I'll tell you something. There's, it's great to receive a physical healing. I believe God heals. And it's great to receive the miracle of a physical healing, but that's still nothing ever as important as a spiritual healing to have our sins forgiven, to be cleansed from our sin and to have the assurance of eternal life. These lepers and their cleansing are an illustration of our sinfulness and needing to be cleansed by Jesus. Because just like these men, we're leprous with sin. And just like these men, our only hope is to go to Jesus and ask for his mercy because only Jesus can forgive sin. Jesus lived the sinless life. He died substitutionally on the cross, taking the punishment for our sin and rose again the third day. And he's alive. He's the one God and, and one mediator between God and man. He's the only one who can forgive our sin. He's the only one who can give us assurance of heaven. That's why Jesus said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And see, when we come to the place where we willingly recognize our own spiritual leprosy before God, and the distance we've created between us and God because of our sin, but we realize who Jesus is and what he did for us personally, and we come to that humble, broken place where we put our faith in Jesus and cry out, Lord, intervene, change me, cleanse me, forgive me for who I am. And Lord, would you transform my life? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin and instantaneously, miraculously, our lives are transformed the moment that we're saved. The question becomes this, how have we responded to the Lord as a result of him powerfully working in our lives. Are we like this one man or are we more like the ten lepers or the nine lepers who didn't return? It seems Jesus indicates nine out of ten individuals neglect to properly express the appreciation that we should towards him for what he does in our life. We can be quite ungrateful and we can break the heart of Jesus. Break his heart. Hey, as we celebrate communion this morning, we have an opportunity to guess what? Examine ourselves and to remember again what Jesus did for us. And I pray as we celebrate communion that the Spirit of God would renew an appreciation in all of us for what Jesus has done for us. The psalmist says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Why don't we bow our heads and pray and we'll... Have Paul come back and lead us into worship. Father, thank you for this time to turn our heart towards you. And Lord, help us to examine our hearts and to be responsive to you. May your spirit direct us as we celebrate the table of the Lord this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, the Bible tells us that when we celebrate communion, we should examine ourselves. And as Christians, it's a time when we stop and pause. And if there's something that's not right between us and the Lord, we, we reconcile that. We do business with the Lord. And then we celebrate communion, thankful, appreciating Jesus. Thank you, though I've messed up, not only in the past, but still in the present, that this assures me your body was broken for me, your blood was shed for me. And it's a time to examine ourselves and to prepare our hearts before the Lord to receive in a worthy way. And we have an open communion at Calvary Chapel, which means that if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, it's meaningful to you, it's important 
we encourage you to celebrate with us. The only thing we ask is if you're, you're not a Christian, you haven't truly been born again, you haven't truly submitted your life to Jesus Christ, we would encourage you if you're still considering that commitment, we're thankful that you're here, you're studying the word, you're worshiping, we would encourage you that you should let the elements pass. Because this is something meaningful and sincere. It'd sort of be like if my wife and I were, were, were having a, 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 a dinner together celebrating our anniversary and our love commitment and some stranger came in the middle of it. Well, wait a minute. What we have is, is, means nothing to you personally. And so if you haven't truly embraced Jesus, we would just encourage you. Just let the elements pass. There's no shame of face in that. that that's being sincere before God. Another better suggestion is this, this morning, if you realize sincerely where you're at and you know you're distant from God because of your sin, it does not matter what you've done. There's no magical words. God sees the faith in your heart. I would encourage you sincerely, you tell Jesus right where you're sitting, Jesus, just like you did for them. Jesus, cleanse me. Forgive me. I want, save me, Lord, save me from my guilt and my sin. And Lord, save me from myself. Change me, transform me. You pray a prayer in sincerity like that, Jesus' spirit will flood your soul and he will save you this morning and tell him, Lord, I'm ready to follow you. And then, as the elements pass, take those elements and as a proclamation publicly, I'm in. I'm in the family. I'm one of these appreciative believers and these things have personal meaning to me and then you can partake your first believer's communion let's worship the lord we'll have the ushers come and pass out the elements and let's all hold them together and we'll receive as a group once they're passed <laughs>